Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello. Hey, dudes. Dudettes. Happy, and everybody, uh, in, everybody in the middle. Oh, yeah. Well, anyone who's on the fence. <laughs> Not quite clear where they are on that issue yet. <laughs> we welcome you as well. Yeah, I was going to say happy belated April Fool's Day. Yes. Today is um, the second, but the show will be going out on the third. Yeah, I wanted to say there was a, a website that I, I came across yesterday that had a list of the top 100 uh, greatest April Fool's hoaxes. I actually saw some of that. Did you? I think I stumbled across something like that yesterday myself. Yeah. I don't even know how, quite by accident. I wasn't looking for it, and then I went, well, what's that? Well, my favorite one of the of the bunch is from 1977, The Guardian, the newspaper in the UK. Mm-hmm. They put out a, a story about the 10th anniversary of the island nation of San Serif. <laughs> Do you remember this? No, I don't. <laughs> they said it's this island nation in the Indian Ocean. The islands are shaped like a semicolon. <laughs> And uh, the, the two islands, the, the two major islands, one is uppercase and lowercase. <laughs> San Serif. That's yep. great. The capital is Bodoni, and the president was General Pica. <laughs> and they said that they got flooded with people looking for information about that because they wanted to go on vacation there. <laughs> well, I'd love to go there. It sounds like a great place. Uh, people are gullible. Yeah, I guess we could say happy spring to everybody, even though yep. the... The equinox happened uh, ten days ago or so. For us, we're we're taping the show the the day after changing the clocks, springing forward, and so, it's messing me up, man. I kind of like it just because it's going to be light when I drive home. Because well, this actually is like the first day of spring for me again. Even though the equinox happened ten days ago, the clock change signifies you know what I look forward to: longer days, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just noticed that as I get older, and I am getting older. The uh, the clock changes always mess me up. It takes me maybe a few weeks, about a month to to readjust. And it's weird because I know the mechanical ones might fool you, but you being a computer guy, you'd think being able to change a digital clock would be easy for a guy like you. You're talking about my internal clock. Oh, oh. Yeah. Because Especially I, with these programs that you can sync with the uh, the NIST servers and stuff now. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, I don't deal with I don't actually change them at all manually. <laughs> not, to, not to screw anyone up there. None of no. the clocks in his house are actually changed. He just does the math. I do the math. For months. <laughs> well, it eventually goes back. It does. No, I just I just noticed though. It, when I was a kid, it didn't bother me whatsoever. But but now it's just you know I'm always messed up. I'm always thinking. My body thinks it's the same time as it was before the clocks changed for several several weeks. It usually takes two, from what I've read. Yeah. They say they say it takes two weeks to adjust. Well, I don't know who they are, but they deserve to be smacked. Well, I think they're right <laughs> according to the evidence we're seeing here. <laughs> You know, and speaking of spring, I brought a, a special bottle of wine over today to celebrate the Equinox time change. What are we drinking today? Um, it's some French thing. It says uh, Chateau, Chateau Saint Jean. 
It's a it's another one of those uh, cabernets. It's a cabernet sauvignon. Yeah, it's a 2001. This is really actually good. it's Chateau Saint Jean, and it's uh, Sonoma County. I think this is actually a California. I know, wine. but they're being pretentious with all that Frenchy speak. And the cool little uh, the classic sort of look of the engraved label. Yeah, despite their pretension, the wine is good. Fantastic. This is up there. This is top five, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I read on uh, another one of those stories online. It sort of hits you. I think there's a porn star who's got a <laughs> a wine who just got rated as like 91 wine spectator. What's the winery called? It's got to be something good. I'm going to look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But I, I was coming, I was going across on, on uh, some of the, the wine listings and I saw that there was this story about a, a porn star getting a great rating. And I'm like, what the heck? And it was about her wine. That's kind of great. Yeah, this is really good. Um, quick story. We were a few weeks ago, months ago, we, we've been talking about good, bad retail experiences. And I had a great retail experience. I went into <laughs> a locally owned store to buy some summer cargo pants that'll convert into shorts. And I needed some new belts, you know, some outdoorsy kind of some stuff. Some pants that change into like a bicycle. Yep. I needed those too. And the experience, the shopping experience was fantastic. What wasn't was the fact that they chose these like two cent Chinese import hangers that were made out of stamped steel and every corner of them had a burr. And I got cut just shopping for clothes. I was bleeding on their clothes. It's like, you know, spend an extra nickel on your damn hangers and maybe people won't be bleeding on your clothes. Well, maybe they should sue you because you couldn't keep your blood in check, man. Yeah, maybe they should. I actually told the guy who was working that section of the store, I showed him my bleedingness. And uh, I <laughs> exactly... Your, your, your bleedosity? I showed him the bleedosity, and it's on my middle finger, so it's kind of hard not to look like you're giving him the bird when you're showing it to him, but I was actually only showing him the, the cut. And he was just like, you know, he pretended to look in there and went, oh, geez, you know, really sorry. And then he just went about his business. But the store manager happened to be at my cash register when I, I checked out. And I mean, that's a serious thing. You don't want people getting cut in your store. Nah, no, it's, it's but, you know, I don't think it was because they were Chinese, though. And I don't want to give people the wrong idea. They were cheap. It was hangers. because they were really cheap. And I guarantee you they were not made in the United States by high paid Americans. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, of that. because they would have been $45 a piece if they weren't made. In the well, US. at least I don't get there were plenty of plastic molded <laughs> hangers in there that I wasn't getting cut on that probably cost a similar price. You know, just buy the better hangers. You don't want your customers bleeding. But anyway, what about you? Well, unless you're a doctor. Yeah, then you definitely want your customers. <laughs> you want them bleeding. all bleeding. You want to stop that bleeding. Yeah, I was reading about another thing. It was it was kind of cool, really. And you know, seeing as how we're vegetarians, I figured I might mention some food every once in a while. We're vegetarians. I've heard some people aren't clear on that. Yeah, well, we are. I read this story. Uh, I think it was a Wired News story mm-hmm. um, where they were talking about how people have been um, genetically modifying pigs so that they can be more healthy. We can get healthier bacon. Kevin Bacon. Uh, yeah. Bacon Brothers? <laughs> no. No, this is this is uh, genetically modified pigs so that you have omega-3 fatty acids included in the bacon. Hmm. And I'm thinking, hmm, I'm not eating that stuff. <laughs> You're still not swaying me on the bacon. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not going there anyway. But you know what? I'll get my omega-3s from my hemp protein and my other sources that I normally get it from. I'll, I'll look for it in a million other ways other than than genetically modified pigs. And the best part is they were getting the genes from a roundworm. Doesn't it sound appetizing? <laughs> this whole, not that I want to go on a wicked genetic engineering uh, slant here, but 
I was talking to a biologist. She teaches high school, I think, on my way back from Columbia. And she's like, oh, genetic engineering is so cool. It's just neat what we can do. We can insert a gene from a firefly into a potato and make it glow. And by the way, Monsanto actually did do that. Oh, I know. And I was like, but, but, but slow down. I said, I don't know one programmer who can write error-free source code. And I mean, there's studies that show with every so many lines of code, there's one bug in there somewhere. You know? I can attest to that. <laughs> and the genetic code is a very sophisticated kind of program. And it's pure arrogance to think that we can manipulate this and know what the final outcome would be and how all of these changes in the code are going to interact with other with each other and what kind of organisms, organisms actually going to come out the other side. And the fact that it might not be creating other proteins and things that are bad for us. Well, and I mean, she was like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. You're a biologist. Uh, Hello. Well, but, but the other thing is your, your analogy of, of writing code and inserting the code and, and having bugs in code to genetic modification is even more scary because the the way that, that genes react is not as close to being as predictable as, as code on a machine. I mean, it's, in, it's insane because it, it involves temperature. It involves environment. It's crazy. I, I'm afraid, maybe not, you know, shaking in my boots and losing sleep over it, but I'm afraid of what the long-term ramifications of genetic modification are. You know, maybe it's going to taste great and, and all that, which is another quote that I got from that article, which is kind of scary as well. Someone said, oh, yeah, 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 they're okay. Everyone's really excited about this whole genetic modification of the bacon, just as long as it doesn't modify the taste. Well, the taste is the least of it. If it might modify the taste slightly and it's safe, that's okay. But if you're not modifying the taste and it turns, you know, into a cancer risk or something, that's really frightening. Yeah, those are huge risks. And this is this is... I, geez, I don't even know where to begin on this, you know? I mean, th- you have all of these people who are very into religion, for example, and, you know, they're very against abortion or whatever, or modifying God's plan or, and things like that. You, you know, kind of know where I'm going. I'm not quoting anyone in particular, but, you, mean you know, me? they're supposed... No, 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 I don't mean you at all. But I mean people who are way, way, way more radical than you, because you're not radical by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, these are people who think God has a plan and we shouldn't be messing with it, you know? That's why you shouldn't use condoms, blah, blah, blah. Well, if there wasn't a... if the, Is there a better example of messing with God's plan than messing with DNA. If there isn't a better example than that, I don't know what is. And I don't see these people in line um, rallying against this kind of stuff. I'm rallying against it as a scientist, you know, because we just can't predict the potential and possible outcomes. It's just, we're just not that smart. You know, maybe in a hundred years, we might be able to manipulate gene code and actually predict its outcome. But maybe right a now, thousand. I mean, right. I think it's, it's complete arrogance to think that we can do this and it's just going to be safe. Arrogance is the exact word I was thinking. But anyway, Anyways, that's it for our uh, little intro piece here, and I think we've got some music. We do. We got a band called Red Herring, some friends of mine. I worked a little bit on this record, and this is kind of like progressive rock and roll. Yeah, I like it. It's really cool. I sort of think of this band, and this song in particular, I always refer to it as like Genesis meets the Stone Temple Pilots or something. It's really cool. And Pearl Jam. I think Something per- like that. Yeah. And I don't Talk actually... about genetic modification. If we can get Genesis... And actually splice them with Pearl Jam. and We'd have this band. We would. I don't know what this song is called because I have a mastering of it, but I don't have the song list. So right now we're going to call it Track 7 until I actually find out (laughs) what the song name is and we can update the website. But check it out.
It's a nice track. Yeah, a lot of touches that, like you said, they're right out of uh, Genesis's playbook, early Genesis. Yeah, the Moog Taurus bass pedals, those yeah. screaming low notes. Yep. And they actually own Moog Taurus bass pedals. Actually, the guys in this band, three of the four were in one of those Genesis tribute bands over the garden wall or something oh, like that. Oh, they were? They oh, were I the, know about them. Yeah, Jeff, the guy who's singing in this band, uh, sang background vocals and played keyboards. The bassist, uh, Kyle, I think his name is, played bass. And the drummer, uh, Rob, who's, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the best drummer to ever come out of central New York, that guy can play and will do another song of theirs, which I don't know the name of either, in the future that really shows off his playing. Yeah, these guys are phenomenal. Two of the four are in a band called Modus now, like M-O-D-U-S. And we're, actually, he expressed an interest in being on the show when their new full-length record comes out. I think they're, we'll link to their um, domain. It's like modusworld.com or something like that. But they're really good. I really like those guys. Yeah, that would be great to have them on. Topic, topic. Do we have a topic? Topic. <laughs> we need a teletype or something sounding right now. Yeah. Now, the the only thing that I was I was interested in talking about today, um, because I've been thinking a lot about it this week, was this whole immigration deal that's going on. And obviously, this is not a news show, so I'm not going to get into the whole story and, and try to bring you all the, the nuances of every single side of the story. All I've got to say is that we've got this this strange dichotomy going on in our country where we have millions of of illegal aliens or or immigrants who are working in this country for for pittance really and they're doing the jobs that nobody wants to do and they've been having protests in california where people have essentially been walking off their jobs showing that how much of an impact they've got on our economy and how much of an impact they've impact they've got on the business world because they're supporting the businesses um and i mean there's some arguments against allowing people uh, in the country I mean, there's the whole thing where they're saying people are taking their job, taking jobs away from Americans. I'm not, I'm not really down with that. I don't um, really think that, I'm not buying that one. I, I read no. a great book called Nickeled and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich, and she talks. I heard about that. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting that. Great book, and she basically does the jobs that no one wants to do mm-hmm. that these these immigrant people are doing for pennies. Yep. And you know, the fact of the matter is. Unless someone's really starving, they're probably not going to want to do those jobs. Barbara Ehren, Ehrenreich's slant with this book was to show that you can't make uh, a living wage doing these jobs. That was the whole slant of the book. It really had little to do with immigration. But... Yeah, and I think one of her points was that you can't just do this with one job. You have to have several of oh, these yeah. jobs. Yeah, you had to have three jobs and you mm-hmm. couldn't make it work. And she went undercover. She's a, a writer for a, a big magazine. I can't recall which one she writes for. But she just took a, an assumed name and went undercover and just found out that these guys are jerks to work for. They're mm-hmm. abusive. They, they abuse the, and don't, they abuse and ignore labor laws and these, these very low income jobs. It's ridiculous. Yep. And, and, and if again, well, not to interrupt, but you were talking about people wanting these jobs, whether or not they want them is questionable, but okay. Let's say there was some validity to the argument that these damned immigrants are taking our jobs. What jobs? American corporations have shipped all of our manufacturing jobs overseas. The reason we don't have any jobs isn't because immigrants are taking them. It's because in the name of profit, American corporations have shipped all our, all of our jobs elsewhere. But yet the right, the right wing in particular has done a very good job of manipulating public belief into channeling that anger at immigrants instead of at corporations where the anger actually deserves to be channeled. And they've done a great job of it. They are masters of propaganda, you know? Well, hence the three-cent hanger in your injury. Yes. 
So yeah, I mean, some of the injury other- <laughs> might be strong word. It's it's a cut, and I did bleed on one of their garments, and I did buy one of the garments too, but not the one I bled on. Well, of course not. You don't want the bloody garment. I, I Who chose wants that. I, I, I chose to bleed on the garment that didn't fit me. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, some of the other arguments against um, allowing immigrants in the country are they're a burden on social services, and they're a burden on the school systems because they bring their children, and their children then are in the schools taking uh, school budget money out for people who Mm -hmm. are actually paying taxes. Mm -hmm. And I can buy some of that, but, you know, when it comes down to it, a lot of the people who are paying or in these jobs, their their income is so low that they probably wouldn't be paying a whole lot in taxes anyways. And I would rather have their kids in school learning something, becoming educated so that they could actually become productive citizens eventually or productive workers, whatever it may be, instead of having them just be on the street not getting an education and just, you know, being a burden on social services later. Right. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. Yeah, and but the other thing is, for me, you got to look at our history. I mean, here comes where we play this part, Star Spangled Banner. Can you overlay that on top of this part? I could. Yeah, that would be I'd great. have to find one. Our country was founded on immigrants. I mean, I'm coming from an immigrant family. I mean, I'm actually just second generation. What's really. your name? Stein. <laughs> Smith. <laughs> Smith. And I'm... Uh, Williams. I'm Vielgosh, which yep. is a pretty damn uh, non-WASP name. Right. Well, and, I mean, it goes without saying that America is a nation of, of immigrants. I mean, how hypocritical is that? that, that most, of, <clears throat> most of us in this country, our families are coming from another country, working class, poor, built up this country, are now making it, and now we say, no, sorry, now we're in the club, we're going to kick you guys out, or we're going to put the, the fences up and you can't come in. I say let people come in, give them the opportunities, so what if it has an impact on our economy? Let's figure that out. But don't be don't be cruel and say you can't come, opportunities only for us. Well, yeah. I mean, immigration and the allowance of immigration has often been tied to the Industrial Revolution, for example. Right around that time, we we needed cheap labor. So suddenly, mm-hmm. immigration, we opened the floodgates and let everybody come through. And it's much like that today. I mean, we, well, we, we, we don't. We still need the labor. Not quite like we did then. I mean, you I'm talking about the mid 1800s and whatnot. You know, suddenly right. all these gigantic factories were popping up everywhere. It was, it was a, manufacturing labor. Now right, it's service right. labor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. You know, I I think so much of what we're seeing with these anti-immigration activists is just uh racism or, you know, bigotry and, and things like that. You know, I don't think they really give a crap about the law and who's upholding the law and who's not who's not upholding the law. Because I'm sure some of these guys speed and go home and smoke a little weed every once in a while. If they cared about the law, mm-hmm. you know, fine. But I, I think it's and you wouldn't ever get them to admit this, but it's all based on it's all based on bigotry. I think I talked about this once before months ago, but I, I there's this one fellow I, I have a slight association with and he really has this hatred against Hispanics and Mexicans in particular. And I don't know why. It's so funny because he took four years of Spanish in high school or college or something, you know, that he would choose to, to choose to take Spanish. But occasionally I'll be in an environment where a story gets told and I'll just hear him throw the dirty mechs and that kind of crap stuff around. And it's just racism. And I think a lot of uh, this anti-immigration stuff is just based on that purely. Yeah, well, I think it's great now that that our politicians are are jumping on some bandwagon and they're starting to realize that that they're going to have to do something that, you know, it's kind of like the whole drug war. You know, if if you keep putting up larger and larger walls and you keep turning immigration into a crime, then you're just creating more criminals. I mean, I don't know necessarily 
have a huge stance on uh, legalizing drugs, but it's a, a similar thing. The more you turn it into a, a crime, you're defining it as a crime being in this country without your specific papers, then you're just creating criminals. And then it's easy for people to say, oh, they're criminals, they're aliens, they're illegal, you know, push them aside. But it's great now to see people realizing that they're coming to this country and literally contributing millions and millions of hours of labor a day. And I think that that's important. Absolutely. They're contributing to the diversity in the country. They're contributing to actually the, the tax base because they pay sales tax when they buy things, right? Yes. <laughs> and they consume. So, I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a, 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 a strict consumerist, I guess you would say it's a great thing. You've got this, this tax base is increasing and couldn't you wait until after the show? <laughs> so anyways, I, I really think that, you know, the, the government's, they're, they're late to uh, accepting this, but I think that they're trying to also divert some attention from the war. Well, I definitely think they are. Bush <laughs> is under heavy attack, and and he's a little suspect even by his own party right now. Mm-hmm. Martin at Writings on the Wall, our friend Martin from Down Under, has a great piece on the uh, current state of affairs in government right now and uh, our unelected, or I should say, well, okay, I'll call it our elected dictatorship that's in power right now. So check out writingsonthewall.net, by the way. But um, where was I going to go? Where was I going with this? I was going to tell a joke. If marriage was outlawed, only outlaws would have in-laws. I just want you to know that. Oh, we need the, the, the rim shot. Yeah, I got to find a good one. Yeah, well, some more details on this, I guess. Um, I'm not going to go in too depth of this, or too much in depth on, on this, but uh, the Senate is looking at creating this guest worker program, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. they're saying that um, now up to 87,000 quote-unquote guest workers will per year will be able to apply for permanent residency, and that is the first step on the uh, citizen trip. Um, and then they're also talking about an amnesty program, again, making sure people realize that, you know, they're criminals, and we're letting them in out of the, the graciousness of our heart. But the, the crazy thing about this amnesty program is that it's going to take 11 years to become a citizen, and you have to have 11 years of employment, straight employment. You have to be, um, well, that right there to me 11 is, years of straight employment. Yeah, so they're making it impossible. They're making it impossible, but not only that, who who is an illegal alien right now? is going to be able to document their 11 years of employment. It's crazy. So then this is just lip service. Exactly. This is nothing more than just BS. You know, they're they're playing it up um, because there have been a lot of protests uh, nationwide regarding uh, these law students. Uh, I've been protesting like crazy. Yeah, students have been walking out of their classes. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. been it's been cool. And I I think we need to see more of that. We need to see more marching on the streets against this this regime that seems to have taken over our country. But um. Some of the other requirements here are pretty interesting, though, that you have to have a demonstrated working knowledge of English. You know, I know a lot of people who are citizens who don't have that. <laughs> um, you can't have a, a criminal background. You have to pass criminal background checks. You're going to have to pay fines and all of your back taxes for that past 11 years. Now, they're making this not only is it impossible to meet, but they're disincentivizing people for, from doing this. Who's going to say, hmm, I'm going to sign up and be a citizen and then have to pay $45,000. I'm going to get a bill for $45,000, $50,000 on the first day of my citizenship. No way. I'm going to, I'm going to sit back and, and still maintain my illegal status. There's no way that I'm going to jump on this. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of crazy. So anyways, it is, it is uh, again, our politicians 
uh, at work, at high work, paid politicians. They're they're, uh, they're getting their megaphones out and telling people that they want to make change. But in reality, is they're they're making sure that no change whatsoever happens. Earning earning that. What do, what do congressmen get now? One hundred thirty seven thousand dollars a year. Oh, I, I think, think it's more than that. Oh, well, that's just straight pay, let alone money for offices and infrastructure and things like that. But I mean, isn't their salary like one thirty seven? I don't know. Uh, and they only work like thirty days out of the year. <laughs> We have an interesting race coming up here. Our congressman is retiring, Mr. Right. Sherwood Bollert. So there is Sherry a full-fledged assault on the office. And I was thinking we should actually try to get one or two of these guys on. That might be interesting. That would be. Because I'm going to ask, I would ask these guys hard questions. Like, those laws are just obviously bogus. If you're making it impossible for somebody to be able to do something, why even waste the time and, and, and put this bill in front of the House, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of BS that nobody's going to be able to do. Yeah, how many tax dollars are being burned on something exactly. like this? It's They're wasting time. Let's actually do an investigation on something illegal that our president is doing right now, because I'm sure he is doing something illegal right now. It's not illegal until it's proven. <laughs> or, well, it's just ignored. His behavior's just been ignored. Anyway, do we have a tune? We, we have, have more, more tunes. tunes. Oh, God. <laughs> what was that all about? His great look. <laughs> it's not the tune I wanted to play, but... <laughs> We're not playing the biddies, Rich. Who? <laughs> great. Now he's going to do his shtick. <laughs> all right. We're not playing the biddies. Now here's where you say who. Who are we playing, then, if not the biddies? Cinch. Cinch. Not Grinch. Cinch. <laughs> Srinch. What's it called? What they mean when they say. Let's check it out.
Once in a while, you got to hear a tune like that. You can just bang your head against the wall. That is what they call rock and roll. Do they? Some who, people no, do. Who is they? <laughs> well, it's the same person who uh, says it takes two weeks to adjust for a time change. <laughs> He's a music critic, and he knows everything about time, too. <laughs> it's Doctor Who. It might be him in the TARDIS. Um, films, films, films. On films. films. Saw a movie Friday night. Um, I always see a movie on Fridays, except last Friday, which was the Biddy Show, but I went on Wednesday. Saw a film called The White Countess. I loved this film. I cannot tell you how into this film I got. I don't even know if this film was any good, but it totally <laughs> absorbed me, and I really loved, I, I really wanted to learn more about these characters, and the three main characters uh, are really cool. The first one is a guy named Jackson, played by that guy, Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> I think we talked about we him talked before. about him about a month ago. But I think he's a great actor. Rafe Fines, and yep. he's yeah, he's a brilliant actor. He's always in these understated. I don't know what he was in this, but he's always in these understated roles where he, it's almost like his quietness is just as strong as anything he can say. Yeah, well, he was very much like that too because he plays a blind man. Although we don't quite know he's blind in the beginning, and we don't know why he's blind. So there you go. There's a reason why we want to learn more about this guy. What's going on with this guy's history? Also in the film were uh, Natasha Richardson. She's great. Mm-hmm. She plays the Russian Countess Sophia. I think she's married to that uh, Jedi Knight guy. And um, <laughs> which one? <laughs> um, um, Samuel um, L. Jackson. Kwai Chang. What? what um, the Scottish guy. Uh, help me out here. <laughs> My mind is a blank I, for the first time. You know who I mean. The, I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. that guy. He was in... Schindler. Yes, he was Oscar Schindler in Schindler's <laughs> List. And, and Ralph Fiennes was in Schindler's List, too. He played the really evil German commandant. Uh, I can't remember what, what character he played, but that was an uh, Academy Award performance right there. Mm-hmm. Also in the film where the Redgrave sisters, they played... Um, the aunts, I believe, of Natasha Richardson, the Sophia character. And one of my favorite actors, who, I only, who I've only seen in two films, was in this, Hiroyuki Sanada. He played Ujio in The Last Samurai. Speaking of the understated character, everything he said, he said with looks. Oh, yeah. And he was sort yeah. of the alpha male lead samurai guy mm-hmm. that, 
you know, really beat up on Tom Cruise in the film and then learn to be, be friends with him. But mm-hmm. he plays a character named Matsuda who has a bit of a, an evil background. Anyway, w- this film takes place around 1936 or 1937 in uh, China, Shanghai. And it takes place right before the Japanese invaded Eastern China. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of things going on. There's lots of political factions that are arguing and debating. And this, this Fines character, Jackson has had some tragic stuff happen in his life, and we don't know what it is. Of course, we will learn what it is, and he's trying to escape. He's a diplomat who's now working for some private company, but he likes the nightlife. He likes to go out and party. And He likes the nightlife. He likes to party. <laughs> I think I just said that. Isn't that a song? I have no idea. On the disco floor, um, I'm confused. But oh, anyway, sorry, we'll we'll get that song later. This city has you know different areas. It has the French Quarter and it has the English Quarter. So there's a lot of diversity in this city. So there's something interesting to do everywhere. And there's a lot of languages spoken. And the Ralph Fiennes character Jackson likes to escape this tragedy that happened to him uh, probably pretty recently, only a few years ago, by going out and having a good time in some of the uh, the bars and the clubs. And his dream, it seems, is to open one of his own, which he eventually does. But out one night, he runs into Sophia, played by Natasha Richardson, and she is a former Soviet aristocrat who I think was thrown out during the 1917 revolution. And she's Jewish also, and and Jewish people were really, really discriminated against in Soviet Russia then. And her family, they're all aristocrats. I mean, they had money, and they were living the good life. And now they were doing uh, service jobs, much like our immigrants are right now, (laughs) in in Soviet, uh, or I should say in China. And the Jackson character runs into her, and I don't know what they call this, but you remember like during the 30s and 40s, you could go to a club and pay for a ticket and dance with a woman. You could pay and get a ticket, and then there were beautiful women in dresses, and you could give them the ticket, and they would give you one dance. Mm-hmm. That's there, what there this... There were just dance halls, I think they were but called. But what is that? I thought there was a name for that kind of dancing. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the Sophia was doing. She was supporting her family by doing this. And as a former aristocrat or as a, an aristocrat, this was pre- probably pretty demeaning work for her. But she was doing what she had to do for her family. And they alluded to the fact that she might have been doing some prostitution too, although they never actually showed any of that. So it's unclear to me. But then things start heating up with the Japanese invasion and all sorts of interesting stuff happens. We learn more about the history of both of the families. And this uh, Hiroyuki Sonata guy, this guy who plays Matsuda, it turns out that he is some sort of spy or something, some sort of guy that the Japanese send in prior to invasion to do some sort of um, intelligence work or something. And he had become good friends with Jackson, the Ralph Fiennes character, and used to visit him at, at his club. Ultimately, the Fiennes character, uh, Jackson character, opens up a club called the White Countess, and he lives hmm. there and escapes the tragedy of his former past, how he became blind, and then, uh, we learn about other things as well. And this is an amazing movie. I loved it. Filled with intrigue and great character development and interesting characters that you liked from the beginning and you wanted to learn more about. I loved these characters. Fabulous. Definitely check this film out. I really, I really liked it. <laughs> so I don't really get a clear sense of your, your opinion on this film. Um, is that like a thumbs up or what? I would give it a thumbs up or whatever it is we do. <laughs> Uh, this is a 2005 film directed by James Ivory. It's 138 minutes, but 
I sometimes look at these. I'm actually reading from the the museums. Um, they'll give you a little flyer when you go in, giving or showing a review of the film and some upcoming films as well. And sometimes when I see a film that's 140 minutes long, I cringe because those seats are very uncomfortable for a tall guy <laughs> like me. But I enjoyed every minute. Just broken of this glass film. all over the place. Yep. And this Ralph Fiennes guy, he can really <laughs> act. He's really talented. Yeah. When you were describing the film, and I and I even mentioned it before we did the show that it reminded me of Empire of the Sun because it's the same kind of, uh, well, it's the same setting in the beginning of the film where you've got this uncertainty going on with the invasion of of Hong Kong or Shanghai. Um, And it's, um, I think what that it does in similar uh, ways as Empire of the Sun is it it forces you to look at the characters and how they react to this huge devastation or uncertainty in their lives. I'm not sure if if that's what this film is doing, but it sounds like it by your description. Well, some of that's going on, definitely. And one thing that struck me about this film, and it's just the way people behave towards one another in that era, and it's a word that you and I throw around quite liberally sometimes, civility. Mm -hmm. The Ralph Fiennes character, Rafe Fiennes character, (laughs) Ralph uh, Jackson, you know, had been developing this relationship with Matsuda, the Hiroyuki Sonata character, and they were... It seemed clear that, because they weren't going into great detail about Sonata's background, that he might be into some dirty dealings. But he clearly had money and he clearly had power because he came dressed. When he came to the club, he looked like a million bucks. But despite the fact that there may have been some um, questions about his background, mm-hmm. they, everyone was civil to each other in this film. They were referring to each other as Mr. and they were speaking uh, good English grammar to one another. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the writer's fault, but yeah. uh, I just couldn't get. I love the civility that they treated uh, treated each other with, and the respect that they treated each other with. And I also love that era's clothing, by the way. Those double breasted suits from the '30s and '40s. I think they look great. I Fedoras. Love, yeah, well, yeah, there were some hats as well. But anyway, this definitely gets a finger up of some kind. <laughs> I'm not quite sure which. <laughs> a sliced finger up. <laughs> it gets my, my yeah, my hanger uh, scarred uh, finger up. Yes, it gets two birds up. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. But anyway, definitely check it out. It's called The White Countess, and it's in a video store near you. Well, again, I'm going to put that film on my uh, queue. Definitely. I would, yeah, yeah. I think you would like it. My queue is like 50 films deep right now. I know. You're never going to get to any of those films. <laughs> but I think we're going to call that a show. Holy cats, Batman. We're going to call it something. <laughs> Battle stations. <laughs> I love that Star Trek stuff, but I'm sure our listeners know that by now. <laughs> yes, please contact us. See our website, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback, the back of the feed, at <laughs> w... No, it's not a W, it's a feedback at bloodyveg.com. That's right. And uh, probably in our next show, because we didn't have enough time today, uh, we're going to talk about a contest. Oh, I don't even know what this is, but it sounds cool. Yeah. No prizes, just glory. Well, we'll have to come up with some token prize, I think. Yeah, well, sure. Since we have some potential prizes on the on the uh, the horizon, maybe we could just fork over something for that. But anyway, remember, you're listening to V-I-B. 